From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. If we have any remaining standards for journalism, we would be willing to say that's not journalism. That is clearly extortion. Amazon and Washington Post owner Jeff Bezos fired a salvo heard round the world at American media CEO David Pecker after the National Enquirer publisher threatened to publish salacious private photographs of the Amazon CEO and his girlfriend. Today on our show, we welcome back Marianne Franks, director of Miami Law's Cyber Civil Rights Initiative, to answer the question, journalism or blackmail? Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip for the interview. Hey, good morning, Marianne. Thanks for coming back. Good morning. Glad to be here. So which is it? Is it extortion? Is it journalism? Well, I think that Jeff Bezos would definitely say that this is extortion. Now, of course, you've got- And has said- and has, in fact, in fact, explicitly said that's what this is. And the the returning sort of uh, gesture is for, for National Enquirer to say, no, this is journalism because you are a public figure and whatever it is that you get up to, especially maybe your um, extracurricular activities is something that's relevant and newsworthy. But of course, that's not the full story here because this is not a publication that is saying we've got these salacious photos and we've got information about this affair and we're going to publish it at least according to the claims that Bezos is making, there's a very specific demand. And this is where we get to the extortion, which is not that we're going to publish these, but that we want you specifically to lie and say that there is no political motivation for the kind of uh, exposés that we're running on you. And if you don't do that, we're then going to publish these photos, which I think if we have any remaining standards for journalism, we would be willing to say that's not journalism. That is clearly extortion. Mm -hmm. Legitimate media and now federal investigators have long questioned if the content coming out of the Inquirer is actually on a darker mission. And I guess we should talk about withheld content as well. Right, because now we know so many things about the National Enquirer that we didn't know before. So I think back to uh, seeing the National Enquirer, you know, on the candy aisles, right, when you're checking out in the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 10 years ago, Nobody would have taken anything that the National Enquirer said seriously. It was a joke. It was a tabloid. And we've seen this interesting transformation of our media such that the National Enquirer is now sort of putting itself out there as a legitimate news source. And that's raised all kinds of questions about what does it mean to be media nowadays. And now we've actually clearly seen from 2016 and on that the National Enquirer was obviously um, connected to, you know, any number of political intrigues and that their publications and that their threats to publish or their attempts to pay people off were clearly politically motivated, which would be complicated under any circumstances, but per- is particularly complicated here when you've got um, a, a, a publication that is now trying to present itself as a legitimate news source. Mm-hmm. Well, they did break the John Edwards story, if I'm correct. Exactly. <laughs> and it was newsworthy. It did bring down the, it ended his political aspirations. Um so Bezos says in his piece published in Medium, it's like, if I can't fight these, then nobody can. So has uh, David Pecker just poked the wrong bear here? Well, there's a lot of things to, to unpack in that statement. So it seems pretty clear that what Bezos is saying is there are lots of not just uh, rumors or allegations about the National Enquirer doing similar things like this to other people. But of course, we know that, in fact, they did make hush money payments um, to people who would have incriminating uh, things to say about, for instance, President Trump. So we know that that's a a real concern. And part of what I think Bezos was saying was, 
there are a lot of people who are not in a position to withstand that sort of pressure mm-hmm. and not just that kind of hush money pressure, but also what clearly is, at least in this case, deeply intimate, possibly incredibly embarrassing, um, depending on what else the, the photos might show, really potentially catastrophic types of events that could get exposure here. And so I think on the one hand, he's saying, because I have the privilege of money and position and influence, I can actually stand up to them and expose what they're doing. But I think in a more important sense that he doesn't talk about as directly, he's also speaking from the position of someone who is being extorted with sexual information, which we've seen in many revenge porn cases, uh, which don't usually involve male billionaires. They usually involve um, women, first of all, and, they, mm-hmm. and these are women who usually don't have the means to do anything except give in to the demands of the person who's extorting them. Mm-hmm. So what I think is a the silver lining of the story is that someone like Bezos is saying, I am in a privileged position and able to withstand these pressures. And it's a way of highlighting all the people who cannot, because this is the kind of thing that happens to lots of ordinary people all the time. Someone finds compromising information, either they steal it or they're given it voluntarily, and they use that as a weapon against that person and will make all kinds of demands for terrible things or really important, valuable things, such as stay in a relationship with me, even though it's abusive, otherwise I'll post these photos of you. Or if you um, if, if I post these photos of you, you're never gonna be able to see your kids again, or I'll ruin your reputation. And those are real problems that are happening to everyday Americans all the time. And so for Bezos to be able to make this into a a kind of spectacle and say, this is not right that this is happening, is really kind of an important thing, even beyond the question of the National Enquirer and the political intrigues that are at work here. Mm -hmm. Um, The laws that you've worked on, on non-consensual pornography, revenge porn, um, would those at all come into play here? Because this is a little bit different. They have this stuff. They want to publish it to embarrass him for any number of reasons, um, but they're blackmailing him by not, you know, saying if you do this, we'll do that. It is a little different. So, in a, in the model statutes that we've developed on non-consensual pornography that have been, in some version, adopted by many states, it's more focused on the actual disclosure without right. authorization. But by implication, because it then becomes an unlawful act to do that, um, in most jurisdictions, the threat to commit an unlawful act is also illegal. So even though it wouldn't be explicitly necessarily written in the laws, it's important that you criminalize behavior, such as the disclosure of intimate images, so that threatening to do that also becomes a crime. And so these laws would help make some of that clear. And in this particular situation, it has kind of an added element because it isn't just the disclosure and it's not just the threat to disclose, but it's threat to disclosure in the attempt to extort something else. Mm -hmm. As an interesting sort of addition here, there is a federal bill that has been introduced that would actually address this directly. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to having this kind of piecemeal approach or this way to read in between statutes, uh, we have Representative Clark um, from Massachusetts who's actually introduced legislation at the federal level that directly targets what is popularly sometimes known as sextortion, as in sexual extortion, mm-hmm. and specifically talks about this, about how intimate photos or intimate information being used to try to demand something else, that this is something that should be clearly criminalized at the federal level. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been voted on yet, but maybe now is a good time for that to be reintroduced. Looking at this now through the other end of, of the telescope, Whereas the uh, National Enquirer is claiming that these somehow has have news value, like how is publishing a picture of his penis have any news value at all? 
Right. So I think that there are two things about that. One is if you have a publication that's genuinely asserting that there's a sincere public interest or newsworthy value in these photos, then they should have just published them, right? The mm -hmm. idea that they're newsworthy if you don't do something makes no sense. They're right. either newsworthy or they are not. And so they really undermine their own argument here by trying to suggest that there's a newsworthy value here, because if that's true, they should have just published them. But that, of course, doesn't answer the more substantive question here. And we've been here before, unfortunately, with the Anthony Weiner cases, and there's more than one, unfortunately, about whether or not there's ever, you know, a real newsworthy interest in somebody's um, naked pictures. Mm -hmm. And it's not impossible to imagine that there could be. But what tends to happen in some of these conversations about newsworthiness is that we tend to confuse the nature of the thing being alleged and the picture of it. This is a person who is obviously famous and people care about what he does. But the more precise question needs to be, just because he's famous doesn't mean that everything that has to do with him is also newsworthy. And it doesn't mean that he has zero privacy interests. Mm -hmm. There's probably nothing more intimate than photos of your actual naked body. Mm -hmm. And the argument that we would need to see that or that the public has any right to see that, I think, is simply it's not made. There's certainly no case for it being made here as to why that would be newsworthy, as opposed to the factual allegations about whether or not he's having an affair. How does that differ then from Justin Bieber on the Riviera nude sunbathing or on a private yacht or the kinds of pictures that paparazzis publish every sell every day? Well, I think we have to make a distinction between the kinds of photos that are obtained when people are out in public, right? right. There is the, the, you do give up the privacy in, in that if you're in public and you decide to disrobe, right? The fact of the matter is somebody can take a photo of you and it's hard to maintain that you have an expectation of privacy then. There's a gray area, I would say, in some cases mm -hmm. when it comes to celebrities who think that they are in a private setting because there are paparazzi who are using extremely um, sophisticated equipment to get pictures that the average person would not be able to get. Right. I think we had some of those controversies relating to Kate Middleton and others. I think that's really, that really does require us to ask, you know, how much privacy could you have in public, especially if you had reason to think that you were in a fairly isolated place? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is the average person would not have thought that they were being observed, then I would say then the paparazzi who took that photo should not be able to publish that. But even that, again, doesn't really answer the question of, well, why do we have any kind of legitimate interest in those photos? Is it just because we're curious? And if we look to some of the statements that courts have made about what newsworthiness actually is, some courts have been quite clear in saying it can't just be things that people are curious about because mm -hmm. that's everything. There's right. nothing that somebody out there doesn't want to see. And so that surely cannot be our standard for newsworthiness is whether or not somebody would want to see it. We do owe ourselves more of a standard than that. And certainly reputable journalism d has got to have a higher standard than just something that people are curious about. We need to be able to specifically articulate why it is that the public has any legitimate interest in seeing these particular images. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yellow journalism has been around since, apparently, since the Spanish-American War. Um, are we in a, a new world here where organizations can be brought down, like in the case of Gawker? Well, this particular incident obviously has made a lot of people think about Gawker and what happened there. And, and Gawker, too, is one of those complicated cases because on the one hand, you had a celebrity who is um, at least newsworthy to some people. And the argument was made that specifically because he'd made commentary publicly about his sex life and his sexual prowess and things of that nature, that the video that was was published of him was somehow in the in the public interest. 
That, I think, was not a plausible argument for them to make, but many people who might have been sympathetic to that were not sympathetic to find out that Peter Thiel was behind the litigation and that this effectively put Gawker out of business. And people worry that this is a new era in which the the super rich have the ability to essentially stifle media that they don't like. And that is certainly one way that you could read the Gawker case. Um, you could, I suppose, try to, to read that similarly here, although I think it's more difficult and, and Bezos is more sympathetic here. But in both of these cases, I think what we really have to focus on is these media publications would not have been in the position to be sued out of existence had they not actually done something wrong. Mm-hmm. There can be multiple motivations, some of them bad, that people might have for wanting them to go out of business. But the answer from a perspective of a journalistic outlet should be, if you don't want to get sued out of existence, don't do things that are actually unlawful and that actually do, in fact, cause harm. And whether we're sympathetic to uh, Hulk Hogan or whether we're sympathetic to Jeff Bezos is kind of beside the point. If you are engaging in activity with the massive amount of power and influence you have as a media organization and you do something that violates someone's privacy in an irreparable way, then it is not necessarily wrong that you should suffer the consequences Mm -hmm. of that. Where do we go from here? Well, I hope that we take a few things away from this case. I hope on the one hand, this being such a high profile case will make us have some difficult conversations about this problem of non-consensual pornography, of people leaking certain types of intimate images and publishing them for nefarious purposes or for entertainment purposes. One hopes that when it happens to someone with power and privilege, that people will pay a little bit more attention, that maybe they will not engage in the kind of sexist stereotyping or victim blaming that we've seen with a lot of other of these cases that'll make people pause and think that even the most powerful or one of the most powerful men in the world cannot protect himself against someone violating his privacy. I hope that that means we'll take it more seriously from here on out. I hope we also have a really serious conversation about what we should count as a legitimate media organization. There has always been this idealism about how the internet democratized journalism, that we're no longer going to have to get our news from the big gatekeepers, and that it's going to be more citizen journalism, and we're going to be able to have more access for that reason and better quality. But I think the real concern there is, have we thrown all the standards out the window with that? Can anybody truly just be a journalist? And can anybody just assert, I have a newsworthy item here. And that could be a naked picture of somebody. And I could be motivated for publishing that picture because I just happen to be resentful or envious or politically motivated. Is that good enough for journalism or should we have higher standards? Well, isn't that how Matt Drudge got started when he was still a cashier at Universal Gift Shop and started the Drudge Report? And I guess we could debate about whether or not it's good that we have the Drudge Report. (laughs) Right. Well, it's always interesting to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. On next week's episode, we sit down with sports law expert Peter Carfagna for a deep dive into concussions and football litigation. Our show was engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode was brought to you by Miami Law's 10 award-winning clinics. Whether in immigration, health rights, investing, or more, they are the training ground for law students to hit the ground running in practice.